It's another Scientology episode on On the Edge with Andrew Gold. You may have noticed, by the way, it was very Scientology heavy a couple of months ago because that was what was leading the charge of my YouTube channel. And I know this this bit that I record now, this is just for you audio guys. Um, and I do care a lot about you guys. You guys tend to be a little bit more patient. I can, I can really tell stories. I can do uh, more in-depth interviews. And what I'm noticing, I don't know if you're interested in this, but on YouTube... Once you've made your sort of big channel with your big subscribers, which I did through Scientology and some stuff on Meghan Mark and things like that, you can start to then branch back out and it still has a, a similar, well, at least some success rate. And it's helping me and the podcast to, to earn a living and to pay for itself and more. So that's really helpful. And that's why there was this big influx of Scientology in particular. But I hope you've noticed as well in the last month or two, we've also moved out. There was Dawkins, there was David Baddiel, there was John Ronson. There were sorts of true true crime and things. There are different cults going on. There are the, the sex trafficker's wife, um, all sorts of different ones. But hey, every now and then I do like to delve back into Scientology. And today's episode is with Catherine Spillino, who's just written a book called Bad Cadet go get it it's cool it's got a great logo and everything and she's a great writer it's fascinating and she is somebody as a bad cadet who was very naughty growing up in Scientology she misbehaved which you know I think I would if I were in Scientology why you know you can't obey all those ridiculous rules and it just shows you know what the book and this podcast episode shows what sort of trouble she gets into what she thinks of the whole thing how she's able to look back on her life and her parents and whether they speak to her being you know fierce Scientologist so I hope this will be of interest to you guys because I was fascinated talking to Catherine do go out and get Bad Cadet I'll put a link in the show notes that's all I've got oh no I've got some big episodes coming up I should say I've got psychiatrist Dr. Shaham Das is back on the show to discuss the Warren Jeffs uh, case just from a psychological profile point of view and the Chad Daybell and Laurie Vallow Daybell case these are two cases of you know awful true crime mixed with religion and he is a fantastic psychiatrist Dr. Shaham Das who's going to be looking at uh, all of that and then there's going to be a big expose about Wim Hof so lots of different weird things going on on the podcast uh, if you don't know who Wim Hof is he does breathing and ice work and stuff I hope you'll find that interesting do support the podcast on patreon.com slash Andrew Gold come find me on YouTube as well Apple Spotify that's probably where you're listening to this anyway isn't it um, what else should I say Twitter Instagram all the things come and see me and all the th- you I've said YouTube um, but now but now but now but now you're on the edge of Scientology and a Bad Cadet with Catherine Spellino. You had a tumultuous upbringing that gets right to the heart of how Scientology and many cults strip you of your individuality and your sense of family and your sense of place. Tell me a bit about what you remember of your first six or so years of life. Okay, yeah, it's a very interesting time. It's uh, my book actually starts around that time. And I'm in a dorm. I'm I do not live with my parents. I rarely see them. I see them for a couple hours on a Sunday morning. But my whole life is dedicated and like, I know my parents have a huge purpose. And the purpose is to save the world. Because they're in this place called the Sea Org, which is the inner the inner people of Scientology, like it's like if you work for the Church of Scientology, you're in the Sea Org and you've dedicated a billion years of your life. And from the time I was a little girl, 
I knew my parents were doing that. And I was like, that's important. So I was with my, I, they were my friends because that's who I lived with. And we were in a dorm and we had a dorm mom instead of our parents. So those are my earliest memories. And they were not bad memories because it's all I knew. It was like in a dorm and we skipped to school and we learn about Arlen Hubbard and there's pictures of him everywhere. <laughs> and that's the beginning. Was it exciting when you would see your parents? How often would you see them? Yeah. Um, so my mom was a teacher at the school or a dorm mom. So I would see her in glimpses because she had younger kids. So I would always get excited and wave and she would smile back and I would be happy about that. And then, so that was the gist for like the day. I wouldn't see my dad at all during the week. And then on at night, they used to pick us up at Saturday nights from our dorm. And then we would spend the night in their like tiny apartment and have the morning and they would do laundry and like cleaning. It was called CSP time. And that's when we got to hang out with our family is when they had to like take care of any errands they had and because otherwise they were working for the church. So that was our quality family time. <laughs> I do air quotes there. Um, but again, I didn't know any different and I thought it was exciting. And when we go to the laundromat, you know, there was the 7-Eleven and I would, you know, get or the thrifties and I would get ice cream. And that was exciting, you know, and that's that was my idea of a family life. It sounds um, like there was was there love there? Was there love between you and your parents? There was for sure. I think um, they thought they were doing the right thing for me. And uh, again, like six to eight years old, I'm just like. I'd see them when I saw them, and that's all I knew. So I wasn't angry about it. I'm, I'm a mom now, so I do think that's weird. <laughs> and I'm like, how could that be? <laughs> I have three kids, and I love them so much, and I'm with them all the time. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm involved in class activities, you know, all of that stuff. So when you look at it from that perspective, it's very strange. What happened to your parents then to make them go down this line of Scientology? Um, so I found out as an adult when I asked my mother, she actually grew up in a Pentecostal family. Her, her dad was a reverend, super strict. She had to wear long dresses. So I, I had asked when, this is when I was already coming out of Scientology in my twenties. Um, and I was just curious, I was like, what made you go into Scientology? And she said, you know, I, you know, I grew up very strict household and I couldn't express my opinions. And when I found Scientology, it was like in the late 70s, she felt like she found freedom of thought was what she said. And I just found that so ironic because they, to me, I know personally, I was in the Sea Org from 14 years old, 15 years old, how much your thought is controlled and how much you have to watch what you say. So um, somehow along the way, when she joined, she thought she was getting freedom of thought and freedom of thinking. But Obviously, that's not the case, or obviously to me and to many others. It's so fascinating um, since I've started this, this this show, just seeing how many different kinds of cults and extreme ideologies overlap and have share similarities. And um, one example I'm thinking of, as you, as you were saying that, I was reminded of uh, Julia Hart, who's an ex-Hasidic Jewish woman. She grew up in, in this Haredi community and her parents said a similar thing that they had grown up in communist, um, I think it was the, the Soviet Union at the time, um, and had had this really strict upbringing. And for some reason that brought them to Hasidic Judaism and they thought that would be somehow, I don't even yeah. know what, like, does that, I mean, does that resonate with you? Like what you think about your parents? Like It's like you go from one cult to another. Yeah, I, I wonder, um, I've been reading, trying to start reading up a little bit more. I'm reading Dr. Stephen Hassan's book about 
mind control, cult control, and also John Atex. And it's interesting, a lot of them are taken in when they're in a vulnerable state. So I don't know if you leave one group, you're still very vulnerable, and then you find something else that tells you what to believe. Um, that's um, something I'm reading about still and learning about. I, I really, to me, it's like, I, my whole life, I was always, my, my book is called The Bad Cadet specifically because I didn't follow the rules well because I questioned things and I questioned authority. And so it's hard for me to picture how you just go along with everything and agree with everything, even though it's obviously wrong. Like my parents don't talk to me anymore and they're okay with that. And my sister as well, who's still in the Sea Org. And they chose to no longer know their grandkids and or my for my sister, her nephews. And it's all because I had two friends who spoke out about Scientology about five years ago, six years ago, and I had nothing to do with it. And they still were OK with just cutting it off because they just they are so indoctrinated into Scientology that they think it's the right thing to do. They think they're saving the world. What's more important, the world or your family. And if you've lived many lives, they also believe in reincarnation, then it's really easy to be like, well, I've had kids before. Like, this isn't a big deal. I could see, I mean, I'm trying to like understand how they could like make it all make sense. <laughs> I don't know if I ever will. Yeah. yeah. You know what I, what I think and with my very layperson uh, hat on here, yeah. and because I've interviewed Stephen Hassan and John Atak and they're great, but I, I think there's no way for them to give entirely an entirely unbiased and I'm thinking more of Stephen Hassan here, but both of them, were in, they sort of went into cults themselves. So there's going to be some level of bias, and they do describe it as sort of the, more from a victim point of view, like they were vulnerable and fell into this state. But I think there's also an aspect that people don't talk about, which is this, uh, the pursuit of status. And I wonder, I think, thinking of Julia Hart's parents, who were a big deal in the Communist Party in the Soviet Union, when you leave that, you're just a nobody. Mm -hmm. But if you get into a cult, there's a very orderly way to climb those ranks and to then be special again. And as you say, uh, they're on a mission. They're very, you know, and they've got to push everyone else out the way, and they're going to get that status again. Does that does oh that feel gosh. like? Oh my gosh! Yeah, just totally. So in the Sea Org, you have ranks, and they do it like based off the military. You're an officer. You're a petty officer. When you first join the Sea Org, you're a swamper. So you do move up the ranks, and if you're an officer, you get to sit in a nicer dining room, and you get like other younger Seerk members are serving you food. It's a very more of a cushy life. Um, you might have a better dorm situation because the living situation there is horrible. They have like tiny rooms and share communal bathrooms. But if you get up to that officer status, you, you get benefits, but also you feel really proud of yourself. Like I am at a high rank. You better listen to me. And the way they bark out orders, oh my, like it's definitely very... Uh, <laughs> Oh my gosh, they they think they're really saving the world. And it's like, I look back at it. And I think um, I have my book here, if anyone's curious, The Bad Cadet. That's the, what they would look like in their Sea Org uniforms. They're very militaristic. And I would be trying to put on makeup in the bathroom and getting yelled at <laughs> if you want to get a an idea of how little I could take it seriously because I was a teenager and yeah. luckily I just didn't buy it. Yeah, you you weren't interested in that same sort of status. It didn't appeal to you. It's I wanted to do it, but I couldn't. Like I was like, oh, if only I could do it. Like every time I saw my friends get promoted, I was like, I'm gonna be good. I'm gonna be good, and then I would be good for like a week, and then all of a sudden, you know, I don't want to go on course and study Scientology. I'd rather go sneak off and read a book in in this in my dorm, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Normal kids. Yeah, stuff. that's. <laughs> 
Yeah. It's like nice, I guess, looking back, it's, it's good that you can, but at the time, it must have been really difficult for you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, at the time, I think that what I like or what I I really, really worked hard on in my book is to communicate that thought control that they have because there is a lot of me shaming myself because I can't be good or their version of what good is and I'm not a robot and I just can't do it. I can't just go to work every day, do this, do this. And to me, and so it's my own self. You can watch as you read the book, you follow through my, my life of how it's, what does a girl do when she's in a situation where she's told she's supposed to save the world, her parents are in it, her brothers and sister are in it. And that's, a really big purpose to have but then she just wants to go out and date boys and have fun like and that's a horrible thing technically and it's like what's gonna win um so that's the the moral of my book (laughs) when did you first become aware that there was a world outside of your family and your dorm and those kinds of things um well growing up we were in la and we would walk to from our dorms all the way over to like what's called pack base the complex and it's a big blue building with scientology on it some people may be familiar from pictures on the internet that's where my parents worked and across the street was the ata so we would like walk by like regular like houses and things like that and then as i got older and was reading i loved to read and was an avid reader so that was a big exposure for me i would read books all the time like sweet valley high babysitter's club and that's like regular lives with the like i mean of course it's like you know parents and they live in a house and they go to work and and it just sounded so magical to me and then you know in the early late 90s early 2000s all of those teen movies were coming out and we would get to watch them on saturday it's called like our org awards if you if you worked hard enough, you got to watch a movie and it was like, you know, 10 things I hate about you <laughs> and all of those movies. And it just made high school look so fun, like bring it on and bring it on was a little later, like 2000. But watching those and reading those reading books, it just looked better than what I was at, which was I had to work. I had to hold a job. Everything was so serious and I'm not a serious person. Um, and so that's where you get my I was just like maybe it's better on the outside wow it's so funny because like loads of religions and cults ban those kinds of books they don't let the people read them and you're sitting there and you've got these two worlds going on one that exists only in this sort of fantasy book world and one that's your Scientology life that like what why do they let you read those books bad on them luckily they did though um I got I think that so there was Another thing that people don't know is that so Sea Org members have children. They go to the cadet org. They're being raised to be future Sea Org members. We sign billionaire contracts when we're children. So there's a lot of different schools like that. They're called cadets. And we were the Pack Ranch Cadet Org. And I think we because we were the lowest org, we were almost left alone in a lot of ways. So we did have those freedoms. But if you went to the Ent Ranch, which was like people, the parents from Gold, who are way more controlled and the stories of the Sea Org members even at Gold are completely different from Sea Org members at PAC. You are way more controlled. There's a lot more control there. So I think they didn't get to have that stuff. They didn't have as many of the opportunities to like go to the movies and like they would take us to the mall like on this every other few weekends you get to go to the mall at our ranch. So I think I was I just lucked lucked out again air quotes. It's still not a great situation but our school did let us have those things or the ranch did 
like reading regular books. Did you guys like would would you be taken to watch like Tom Cruise movies? Was oh, he yeah. seen as like a almost you know deity and John Travolta? Oh yeah, for sure. We when Battlefield Earth came out, I think we watched it like four times in a row. Like it was like a day because they wanted it to get really high like statistics in the real world, you know. So everybody's like, oh, it's a blockbuster. So we watched it over and over, so which we enjoyed. Um, and then actually, I think we'd buy the tickets after the second one. And then we'd, I would sneak out my friends and go to a different movie. But uh, yeah. That, you, we should explain what Battlefield Earth is for people who haven't. That's the Scientology movie. And is John Travolta in yeah, it? Yeah, John Travolta's in it. I think Kelly Preston's in it too. Um, and it's like based off of like a planet and there's like cyclos, which people think is based off of like psychiatrists. Maybe they're the bad people, but they're like monsters. And then like you have to, um, it's based off of Battlefield Earth by L. Ron Hubbard. Try to remember the story. And then- three. It's the year 3000, it's the year 3000 AD and the earth is lost to the alien race of cyclos. Humanity is enslaved by these gold thirsty tyrants who are unaware that their man animals are about to ignite the rebellion of a lifetime with John Travolta, Forrest Whitaker as well yeah that's right and then there was another guy who's pretty famous i don't remember barry pepper yes, is it? yeah 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 he's good well like that <laughs> that's known i think now is like the worst film of all time yeah. like one of the worst ever films <laughs> so you guys watched that and then so the tom cruise stuff were you watching all because this was when was this are you like my age uh yeah i'm 37 Okay, I'm 34. So yeah, so okay, you thanks. got the that was, the Tom Cruise time, was right? that was the late 80s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't I didn't know. Yeah. I you know, you 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 could have been 24 for all I know. But um yeah, the uh that was the big Tom Cruise time, wasn't it? So I can ima I'm imagining just like a family like, "Okay, let's go see that Tom Cruise." Did you ever see any of the celebrities as well? Yeah. That would see them like uh I ended up when I was 17, I had to I I leave the Sea Org and it's like not really a spoiler because I'm not in the Sea Org right now. But when I'm living in LA and like still a Scientologist though, I worked for a school and his his kids went there for a while and his like nephews and nieces. So he toured once and he said hello and he's definitely very charismatic. Um, but he's definitely totally bought in and he must be an egomaniac for him to ignore everything that's going on around him and just be like, everything's perfect. And like the staff, cause his staff, I think are all CERG members or Scientologists. So they're really controlled. So imagine living in a world where nobody could criticize you ever. Like that's what he lives in, which is very strange. Don't you want to be criticized and learn and get better for yourself? I mean, I would. So yeah, that's that's his world. He's very surrounded and like everything's got to be perfect. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about, but in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. 
To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. Even when he got told, like, well done, even that was like a seen as a criticism by um, Nazanin Bonyadi, his, his ex-girlfriend. He was really upset. She said, very well done. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, well, that's the story that, and, and it was it was in, I can't remember which magazine, but I think it was quite reputable, uh, the source, but that she was dating him and she said, very well done. And that's like the one thing, you, you can say that to someone who's beneath you, but not someone who's above you. It was when he won that big award. So he broke up with her yeah. because of that. And because the Scientology Award. Yeah. And so, he, yeah, she broke up with him because yeah. of that. And also because he couldn't understand David Miscavige. She couldn't understand David Miscavige very well, the leader of Scientology. And that's really insulting. So he broke up with her and then she had to clean the bathrooms with a toothbrush. Yeah, I heard about the bathrooms thing and I could totally see it because like if you do something bad. So like once I was made to climb into a trash compactor when I was 15, and scrub it, which is what? ridiculous. Like you can't make a dumpster clean. The point, that's not the point, just like her cleaning the bathroom with a toothbrush. <laughs> it's just to demean you and make you feel like you're making up the damage for all the stuff you've done. Um, that's what they do. Like if you do something wrong or if you question anything, firstly, they also have your family and your friends and that's all you know. So there's that pressure of keeping it. And then it's like, what what you're doing is damaging. What can you do to fix it or make it better, you need to make it the damage, go scrub this bathroom, go climb in this dumpster. Um, and people do it and it's it's horrible. And I, I did, I climbed in it and I immediately jumped out because I was like, I'm not dying in a dumpster, like, because it could crush you. So they're like, get back in. I'm like, no. And then I'm like, this child abuse. <laughs> and I walk off. 
Um, yeah, I was always saying child abuse to them. And like, and like, I would say it kind of ironically, but I, I mean, now I'm like, oh, it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and how do they respond when you fight back and say things like I that? Would get, I would just get in more trouble or like I can't do any of the rewards. So I was sent back. I was on put on what's called the EPF, which is like the boot camp to join the Sea Org. So they just tell you at the ranch, okay, it's time for you to join the Sea Org. And then um, when you're doing that, you go on what's called the EPF. I was on the EPF and then I was too out ethics is what they call it when you're too naughty. I was just like goofing off too much. Not I was walking instead of running where I was supposed to go. Things like that. Sneaking off to the like convenience store to get candy. Um, I was about I was 14 years old. So then they sent me back to the ranch and at the ranch. They're like, no privileges for you. You can't go to the movies. You can't do this. And then finally they get they there was a lot of arbitrary like because it was not well supervised at the ranch, like they would get, I don't know, tired or something. And then all of a sudden I'd be back with the group. I'm like, oh, okay. And I would get to go to the movies and stuff. And then when they want me to join the Sea Org again, they're like, you can't do anything. You can't go to the movies, you can't do all that. And then it's like, fine, I'll just go back on the EPF. So that's how they control me in a way. Like they take away your, what they call your privileges. Did they, um, did they do all that like auditing stuff on you? Oh yeah. And that's, um, it, it was, so I got one time. Okay. So I didn't, what was it? I, I was saying, I actually want to leave. I was like 13 years old and I was like, I want to go. I know we have relatives in New York. I could go stay with them. And then they're like, well, why don't we get you auditing first? And I was like, okay, I've never had it before. I've heard amazing things my whole life. Like that sounds cool. Like what if I go past life and I learn about my past lives? So then, um, I, like I go and it's like a kid my age who I grew up with he's my auditor because he got sent when he was like 12 to the Sea Org to train so he's my auditor again air quotes and oh I'm just God. like are you serious I'm not gonna tell you anything like I know who you are and then <laughs> like it's in my mind and I'm like Catherine take it seriously like self-talk and then turns out he just wants to do what's called word clearing where you just clear up words of all these Scientology words to make sure I don't have any misunderstand words because if you have a misunderstand word, a word you don't understand, you blow, you want to leave. So if I want to leave, that's why they were like, oh, she needs to do this, what's called P uh, PTSCS1 or something. And so I'm just clearing words, boring, so boring. I was like, this is the worst. So that was my experience with auditing. <laughs> And it was not good. <laughs> did you did you have any like the th weird thing? Another weird thing with Scientology is that you don't actually get to learn about Lord Zenu until like OT three. Did you, I presume you didn't even reach any OTs like no that? Way. So you didn't even know that stuff. At that, so what did you think you believed? Yeah, so I didn't know about. Nobody knows about the alien stuff. Like most of those people in the Sea have no idea about the alien stuff. And like my dad is OT3, so he hit the alien part and then stopped. He never went up the bridge any further. Probably his mind was like blown. And he was like, <laughs> oh no, now I'm in it. And now he's just like <laughs> stuck. I don't know. That's my theory because I know he's OT3, and but he's never done anything. And he's been OT3 for like 30 years. So my mom has like done like nothing. She's like, just low at the bottom of the bridge. So it's like, what do you even believe if none of you guys are even going up the bridge? But it's the whole like purpose, like we were talking about saving the world. That's what they believe, that they're like clearing the world. That's funny. So he got to OT3 and was just, yeah, that was it. So do you, are you saying that you think that uh, that he realized this is nonsense, but it's like, I'm too far in now? That's what I is think. That, 
What do you I think? I kind of do. And he's kind of like a... Sunk cost fallacy. Yeah. And my dad is like very like New York and like, I don't know. I could just have been like, well, all right. All right. Here I am. <laughs> I'm just like submitting to it. I don't know. Like he's very like, just trying to think. Like I don't know him that well because I didn't really grow up with him. But when I talk to him, he's so mellow, so chill. So I could just see him like reading it and being like, oh shit. And then just letting it be. <laughs> Am I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that word. Sorry. You can edit it out. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's fine. No, that's, that's fine. As long as you don't repeatedly say it for the next half an hour, um, 30 times a minute. But, but one or two is, is absolutely fine. That, as far as YouTube is, I think, with that okay. stuff anyway. But, um, and, and there are audio listeners, and I, I, should, I should point that out because I don't want them to be, feel like I don't care about them. But they don't care about um, saying shit as much as, you, <laughs> as, much as you want. So uh, good, good on, on that. Um, so um, <laughs> when you decided to leave... How did your parents take it? Um, so the the real time when I fully was like, okay, it's just happening because there was many instances. And again, there's that self-talk of indoctrination where I'm like, I need to save the world. And I convinced myself to stay or a friend convinces me. Um, not really a friend, actually, because you can't really talk to your friends about it. You're not allowed to talk about leaving, which is really a really clever tool they use because you have no one to talk to about what your plans are or what you'll do. Um but when I finally told them I was leaving, I was like, okay, mom and dad, I'm going, like it's official. And I was, I think I had just turned 16 and they were like, okay. And then I was like, mom, I was like, aren't you excited though? Like you're gonna get grandkids. Like I wanna have babies. You can't have kids in the Sea Org. I don't know if you know that. Um, is that a bomb? <laughs> but yeah, you can't have kids in the Sea Org. So that was a good excuse too for me to grab onto. I knew I wanted to have kids. So I'm like, I have to leave so I could start a life and then have kids. Because it's not like you could just leave at 25 and go have a baby. And I was like, I need to leave, get an education, get a job, have a life, and then eventually meet somebody. So again, I go to my mom. My mom, I'm like, don't you want to have grandkids? Like, this is this is nice. At least you'll get grandkids. And she was like, well, I would rather you stay in the Sea Org. And I was like, mom, you don't want grandkids. And she was like, well, it'll be nice. But she's just saying, like, if she had to choose, she'd rather me stay in the Sea Org, which is just so sad. I'm just like, oh, mom. I don't know why. I just like, to me, I'm like, I yeah. should be way more upset. I'm just like, I, I know where her mind is at that time when I was 16. And I just like laugh at it. I'm like, you're crazy. <laughs> like, it's like. Yeah, well, she was, you know, what? When you were a kid, she was like often not there anyway, even for her own daughter. So for a grandchild, is even less of vital for yeah. her. Yeah, I mean, and now witnessing now where she doesn't even talk to my grandkids. And she did meet them and she held my babies. I have uh, twins, so she came out when they were babies and held them. And a, I had a three-year-old as well. Now they're nine and six, and she's missed like five to six years of their lives over the stupidest thing and i actually managed because of these interviews i have i wasn't able to reach her too like if people don't understand that like she doesn't have a phone i can't just call her so even if like you know how somebody be like i don't want to talk to you but you keep calling even though it's probably harassment but like you try to get through like i can't call like there's nowhere i have to call the church and they will take a message and then i won't hear back so like I couldn't reach her at all. So I gave up after a while. But meanwhile, I knew she was talking to her sisters, my aunts, who I had stayed with when I left. And so they were keeping me up to date that she was well and that my sister was well and my dad. So it was an intentional disconnection from them. You know, like they were not calling me anymore or my brother, who's also out and who did absolutely nothing because it wasn't even his friends, only a Romani show either. So 
Anyway, long story short, somebody was listening to one of my interviews and I guess they had recently left the Sea Org and they knew where my parents were and that that place had a landline, like the birthing that they stayed in, which is unusual, where you stay does not have any phones. So I called and I managed to reach my parents, which was amazing. I hadn't talked to them in like six years. So it was like pretty, pretty wild, but they acted like it'd been like, I just talked to them yesterday. They're like, oh, how's it going? How are your kids? How old are they now? Oh. I'm just like, well, it's, I'm like, you realize it's been over five years, almost six years since we've seen each other. And they're like, yeah, that's too bad. Like my mom is who I'm talking to then. And then I said, well, why don't we see each other? And she was like, well, I have to check with my ethics officer. She literally said that. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, mom, like people don't believe they're the same religion and their family still stay together or they have different political ideas. Like you could still be a family and not have agree have disagreements. And we could just leave that at the door and still be together. Like we don't have to talk about Scientology. And she's like, oh, okay, I know. But I just need to check with the ethics officer. And I'm just like, so like, I knew that was what I was going to get from her, but I'm just like, oh, it's so sad. And so we say our goodbyes. And then I realized, I was like, oh, wait, if she talks to the ethics officer, he's going to do a Google on me to see what Catherine Spolino's been up to and see all my interviews. So I was like, I called back and reached her. And I was like, just so you know, I did write a book because I'd rather she hear it from me. And she was like, uh, uh, start choking a little bit. I was like, are you okay, mom? She's like, what? she's just start coughing. I think air went down the wrong tube. I thought that was just movies where that No, happens. I know. I was but like, I this thought is... people like crying. And, and... I was like, she seriously yeah. sounds like she's going to keel over. I felt, I felt bad. Like I do love my mom, but it's also like, why is it that I feel bad for telling the story of my childhood? Like she, and why, oh, the immediately, immediate thing she asked me said, is it attacking Scientology? And I said, I don't think so. It's just a story of growing up in Scientology. And I'm, um, you know, and she's like, what's it called? And I said, the bad cadet. And that's when she started like coughing and stuff. And I was like, you know how I am? Like, actually, maybe she coughed and I told her I wrote a book. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But uh, <laughs> she did the coughing. She, she coughed. coughed. She was surprised. Um, I was just like, listen, though, I, I love you. And my door is always open. And I would love to see you sometime. And she's like, okay, honey. And she was like way more subdued. And she's like, bye. And, and I was like, I love you. And she said, I love you too. And we hung up. So I was like, okay. I was like, I actually wasn't bad. So then I tried to call the next day and the phone line was disconnected. I was like, dang, that worked fast. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'm just imagining her like, like, cause you nearly killed her with like, some information <laughs> about a book that you had Hopefully written. Not, like, that like, that like had a physical. Had a reaction. Yeah. Physical reaction physical reaction and then i'm imagining like the phone like ending the phone call ending and then she's like right get the scissors um we're cutting the phone line like she i don't think she did it i think she it. reported it and they told her hey she, your daughter is now on enemy lines is what they would say we need to change the phone line so she doesn't interpolate everybody in this birthing is what they would their apartments and they're in like apparently like they're on medical leave now kind of but still part of the sea orcs i'm also like why don't you just let them leave like i could figure out a way to take care of them like they're not working anymore but i think it's about that control i don't know i mean my parents don't want to leave too but if they said it in a way like you could be a scientologist and go live your life but that's i i don't know wishful wishful thinking 
on my end. So where are they? They're in like some sort of, are they in like a building with other Scientologists? My dad was saying that they each have their room and then they have like their cleaning stations. They have to make sure it's clean and during, they, they make sure everything's disinfected. During COVID, they took it like super intense. They wouldn't let them take walks or anything. It's like OCD. Yeah, but it's like they're assigned that. And then like, I think she, he said like sometimes they have like call-in or tasks to do for the church or like writing letters. Um, and then I don't know what they're doing, but they don't live at the pack base anymore, which is like the main complex, which is where you go and you work. And people said that that building is where they send people who have like terminal illnesses. So like leading up to that call, I was told that my mom had dementia and my dad had like, he's always had diabetes, but that was like really bad. And I was like freaking out. I was like, oh my gosh, my mom, gonna know who I am, but she sounded fine. It doesn't mean that she's doesn't have early onset. I hope she doesn't. And she's still talking to my aunt, even though the, the phone lines disconnected, I found out through my aunt that I guess my sister and my dad have cell phones, but I didn't know that. Does it make you sad? Do you, do you wish you could? I mean, obviously you do wish you could get your parents out of there, but it's, it's sad, isn't mm -hmm. it? Um, I'm like, so when they first disconnected, it was very sad. My babies, my twins were only like almost a year. And then my husband was traveling for work on top of that. And it was winter in Minnesota. That's a lot. And it was just like, so it was my first time I got a therapist. I was like, I need to talk to somebody about this just to process everything. I was still fine functioning. I'm luckily, I don't deal with mental illness, like, you know, like where it's debilitating. I like it still function, but I was definitely not myself. I was cranky, easily got angry, was sad drank more wine than normal, you know, at night when the kids were going to bed to like, just try to be like, yeah, it was just that. So then I would see, I was seeing a therapist and just talked about it. And she was just like, to get her feedback, was she's just like, your upbringing is so strange. You've turned into such a normal, like, not normal. That's a, a, um, like a healthy, having a healthy mental state overall. Of course, you're going to be sad about your parents leaving. Um, and I talked to too about how to raise children properly. Cause I haven't raised kids. I'm like, what's a normal, what's my, a normal response when I'm trying to get them out the door and they're not putting my three-year-old's not putting on his shoes and I get angry and I scream at him and I don't want to scream at him. And she's like, oh yes, many a parents have that problem <laughs> of like, you know, try to get your yeah. kid out the door and then they scream. She's like, that's normal. But obviously if you could try to give them, you know, heads up and which I do anyway, um, just getting affirmation that I'm a good parent and that I'm trying my best. And she was just like, really great to talk to. And so I still see her periodically, like once the, when this book came out, I was dealing with a lot of emotions of fear because there's a lot of people who, there's a lot of attacking that the church does on people who talk out. So I was very scared. And then also a little bit of guilt because it's my, parents and that's what they believe but i it's like i'm not it's not about my parents though is what i have to remember it's about me telling the truth of what it was like as a cadet growing up in scientology and that's more important and so it's just good to talk to my therapist about it but overall i would say i'm a pretty happy person and um i don't know i think writing this book helped a lot i, I wrote most of it when i was like 20 which was just like taking it off of my journals and barfing it on a page like 150,000 words, so many, so many memories and things. I think that processed a lot of it. So it just doesn't have a lot of like um, pain for me anymore. Like it's kind of like a story. 
What was some of the, or what was the most painful thing that, I mean, you talked about being made to go inside a trash can thing. Uh, what's, what was, what's something that stands out that maybe writing helps you come to terms with? That's a good question. Let's see. Um, I think what it really showed me was how strong I am actually. So it wasn't like something that was like, I had to work through and get through the pain while writing. It was like, there was a pattern I saw of myself always talking back or like standing up for myself and not, and I was questioning why I was such a bad cadet. And now I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, I was such a good, like I was, I'm so proud of myself that I couldn't conform because I had too much of my own personality. I had so much personality that they couldn't put me into a box. And I like burst out of it basically. Cause I was one of the first of my cadet friends to leave. And like, that's like a big deal to leave at 16 years old and start a life and not, and leave everything you know behind. So I, I think what I got out of writing it was like a sense of pride, really. Was it was it difficult to leave? Did they try to stop you? You know, you hear horror stories sometimes about people trying to leave. Oh gosh, yeah. It's like every time you want to leave, they, they convince you to stay, whether it's be via like, oh, let's put you on a different post. Or in my case, they're like, let's, cause they, they remember you're still a Scientologist. Even if you want to leave the Sea Org, you still believe in clearing the world. So they're like, do you want to like go back on the EPF and try again? Maybe you just didn't do it right the first time. And for me, I'm a teenager, 15. I still want to please my parents. I want to save the world. And I'm like, oh, maybe that is the solution. And also there's hot guys on the EPF. So sure, I'll give it a go. Like that's literally <laughs> my, my reasoning. And it's so embarrassing, but it's so true. It's so teenager. Um, they, it's, that's why they also recruit a lot of young teenagers because they're so easily manipulated. Um, eventually I did blow, it's, it's called blow. Is when you, they have security guards going around the perimeter and I had ways I knew where the cameras were and I would ju I just left and like went to what's called Universal City Walk and was like, and I left with the intention of them finding out I left so that they can handle me so that they would, then I could tell them I want to leave. And that like, I felt like that was an easier way to communicate because if I told them without blowing, they wouldn't take me seriously and would just tell me to do a course or go back in the EVF. So I blew and then was bored. I was like there for like seven hours, Universal City Walk. And then I like came back and nobody noticed. I was like, what? I was really surprised. Um, but I guess because I had gone to the roll call, there was like course roll call and left after that. I'm like, I guess I was accounted for, for a while. Um, and then the next time I tried to blow, um, I went to, it was like 10 o'clock at night such a bad idea and i like went to the what's called the metro station it's on sunset in vermont and it was closed already couldn't even take it so i decided to sleep there like on a bench and i'm like laying there and then some police come and they're like um i'm like oh no and then i like sit up i'm like oh at least it's just the police and not like somebody who's like unsavory or something um and then they like tried it they're like okay what are you doing here i'm like um i was just trying to go to Universal City Walk, but it was closed. They're like, well, where do you live? And I'm like, oh no, because you can't talk bad about Scientology of the Sea Org. And I'm like, but I have to tell them where I live. So I'm like, I live at L. Ron Hubbard Way. And then they're like, okay, well, we need to pat you down for drugs. I'm like, drugs? Because <laughs> I don't do drugs, obviously. <laughs> so they like pat me down, put me in handcuffs, put me in the back of the car and brought me back to pack. And I'm just like, 
oh my gosh. And they were, the security guards there were pissed. They were like, you're so out PR, which means like out public relations, making the CR look bad. And I was like, I'm sorry, I didn't, I don't know. <laughs> but the, you know what's so interesting now is I talked to my other friends who are cadets who have left and they all have similar stories where they left and like one time one of them ended up staying a night at a foster home because we're all 15 or 16, right? Blowing and like being taken back. Like, isn't there something wrong with the system that they're just bringing these 15 and 16 year olds back to the same place? There's gotta have been a record of this, but they talk about LAPD being in their pocket, Scientology's pocket, or it's been talked about. So, and I think about that, I'm like, that that's probably why it was like, they would report it and the people like just shove it under, like throw, put it under the rug when they say like, oh, there was 20 runaways this year from PAC, but we don't care. Like it should have been a red flag. Why do they put you in handcuffs? I think they'd said there was like protocol. I don't know why, but the other time, cause was, that's actually the second time it got brought back by police. Another time I was with, for a walk with friends, this time I was innocent. Just, uh, we had our PE time, our physical t uh, time to like exercise at 10 o'clock. That's when you got off work, 10 PM. So me and my friend Miriam went for a walk. Yeah, it's so ridiculous. And it's like 10 PM and I guess there's a curfew for kids in LA, I didn't know that. Like you're not supposed to be out past a certain time and it was like 1030. So like a police car pulled us over and they're like, what are you guys doing out? And we're like, we're just going for a walk. They're like, you can't just go for a walk. And we had no idea. So that one was an innocent mistake. And we, again, we've got brought back, but that time we did not get handcuffed. Yeah. It's, it's interesting you talk about it as that was the innocent time and the other time was like, is does it feel like you were guilty? Because you, you were just trying to leave a cult. Yeah, oh, I don't feel guilty now. But then I'm, I'm just saying I actually had a, a purpose there like of leaving. Um, so yeah, no, I don't feel any guilt about it. You spoke of um, working till 10 p.m. So give us an insight for those who don't know into what kind of work you were doing and how, that, how hard they worked you. Yeah, you would think that it would be very... Um, when you say, oh, they're clearing the world, like, oh, whatever they're doing is gonna be very amazing. But like my job, my first job when I was 15 was to call disaffected public, meaning people who no longer want to be Scientologists. I had to call it from a long list of that I had and I would call them and they would swear at me because stop calling me, take me off your list. And I'm only 15, I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is the worst. I have to do this over and over. And I worked, I think we had, you had like morning, I worked till lunch, then you had lunch, and then the afternoon you go on course for like four hours, which is Scientology studies. I wasn't going to regular school except for on Saturday, and that was not even supervised. Um, and then in the evening, I would do um, more posts until 10 o'clock. So it's like, you just, the only free time you got was 30 minute meals and 15 minute breaks. And then at 10 o'clock was your free time to exercise till 11. And then I think you had to be up at like 7, 7.30 to be at eight o'clock muster. So not a lot of free time, which means you don't have a lot of time to think probably, which is probably how they keep people in too. If you just go work, 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 work. And it's like, you never really have time in your own thoughts. Do you remember being tired all the time? Yeah. It'll be times I wouldn't want to get out of bed and my senior, it's what they called your person in charge, would be banging on my dorm. Get out of bed, Catherine. And I was like, no, I don't want to. Definitely a teenager. But also I was, I think, probably a little bit depressed. Like, oh, I have to just go call people. 
this is so boring. The only thing I like is my meal times with my friends because I had all of my friends that I grew up with. So we would be at meal times. It's like a rowdy, like yelling and talking over each other, eating like that was joyful. So I had little minutes of joy of these 30 minutes times or like in the dorms. So I think that some people when you um, especially if they've re read books, which there's so many great ones about Scientology and so many good memoirs. What makes mine a little different is that you're totally going to get into the mind of a child. And what are the things that keep me there? What are the things that excite me? And there are joyful moments or funny moments. People find that they're laughing, but then they're next chapter. They're like, you know, some of my friends were like crying because they remember that time, like my cadet friends. And it's, I think I really capture everything, the good, the bad and the gray. And obviously most of it's bad, but it's done it through really childlike innocence because that's all I know. And it's like, so I think you'll feel, I think a lot of people get more of an idea of what it's really like because they get all of those little details that where you do the self-talk of like, oh, I need to be good. I need to listen. But then you want to combat against that. And what, and how do you think, I mean, that's you as a child. And I think that's really interesting and people should get your book for that sort of insight because we do often speak just from an adult perspective it's really interesting to think about uh yeah exactly as you said what keeps you there what moves you each day and what you thought of scientology at the time um as an adult though also you know not finishing high school not having a proper high school education has that held you back in any ways do you ever feel that sort of cropping up in day-to-day -day life um for sure in ways like for getting a job the highest i ever i mean i i luckily i'm well-spoken I'm well read and intelligent. So I was able to get office manager jobs by the time I was like mid twenties of like small law firms or a software firm. So it's getting paid well, but not, I'm never gonna have that career job where you're getting, you know, three figures. Um, but it was definitely an, enough to support myself. Um, but I have my husband, I met my husband when I was 20 in LA. He's not a Scientologist, he's amazing. And he's having somebody who's not a Scientologist is what really helped me get out because I had somebody to talk to, but his, he went to college, his friends went to college. So moving back to Minnesota where he went to high school and meeting his high school friends who all left and went to college and came back talking to these people who are like attorneys, nurse practitioners, or have jobs like ar architect and they're all kind. And like, it just like, I learned a lot, first of all, about manners and <laughs> how to treat people. Cause there's, I don't know, there's a whole social thing I had to learn. And that I learned pretty quickly when I was like 17, 18, 19. But then the education aspect was like a little bit like I'd be kind of embarrassed because I actually don't have a high school diploma. Like it's like I just say on my resume, Canyon Oaks Ranch, which is the name of the school. And like the year I left it and leave it at that um, for my education and people, I, the jobs I applied for were office manager. So it's not you didn't need a college diploma. So I always love the idea of one day going to college and maybe in psychology or to be a teacher because I really like kids. Um, so yeah, there is like, I, I'm not as ashamed, but when I was in my early twenties talking to my husband's friends who were all educated, they would never judge me for it. But I was definitely like, oh gosh, they wouldn't know that I had never, never graduated high school. <laughs> you know, I have a sixth grade math education, most likely, no, a little bit higher, like algebra, but I don't remember algebra, but I did take it once I left the Sea Org. Well, you're right not to be ashamed. And it's it's similar with a lot of ex-Scientologists and a lot of people who, who grew up in cults and didn't get 
the right education or whatever it might be from Hasidic Judaism as well, you know, that, that you guys are also eloquent. And I suppose in a sense you had to sort of make it on your own and be stronger. And you were like the select few who actually uh, had the courage and the brains to leave. So I, I, I guess you guys, uh, so you're right not to be ashamed, but do you feel resentful that you weren't given that same opportunity that the others got? Um, you know, I should be. And a lot of my friends are, I just like, it's like already happened, so there's no point. Like, there's no point in like dwelling on it or being upset about it. And I don't know because I'm a happy person and I have a great life. Like, I just don't really dwell on it. And I'm just like, it, it was what it was. It was a very strange life growing up, but I'm like, I'm making something of it. I wrote. I wanted to when I was young. I I would read all the time. I mentioned that, and I read like diaries and memoirs and I was like oh this is a I was aware like this is kind of strange life maybe one day I'll write this and then I didn't want to write it for so long because I had my parents I didn't want to lose them and then when they disconnected from me it's like I wrote a book I'm like oh my gosh who would have thought you know so that's kind of cool so I've done something that most people can't do it's a very hard thing to write a book so I have that, you know. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You're, and you should be proud of that. And I mean, how, how, how have the responses been? And has that, has it gotten you in touch with like any old people from, you know, have gotten in touch? I'm imagining, oh gosh, you left as well. I didn't even realize that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, it's been really great. And like, because you have to keep it a secret if you're no longer a Scientologist, because you don't want to lose your family. I've had like DMs from cadets who are like, hey, I would have liked your your post because I have a bad cadet Instagram page. And I also actually posted on my personal page just to be like, put it out there because I was going to hide it, but I decided to own it. So they like reached out and they're like, like, I'm I have to keep it quiet because my parents in the sewer, but we're so I'm so proud of you. I'm getting the book. And like I've now been getting the responses where they read the book and they're like, um, it's just so sweet. Like my friend. And where's my phone? She just sent me literally yesterday. She's like, I just read your book. You have me laughing and crying. And she's like, thank you so much. Like you make this experience what it was like you, you made it. So I don't feel like I'm crazy when I think back on it. Like, did that really happen? And it's like, no, it happened. And now it's in this book. Like that was really cool. And, um, I have also friends who are like, I can't, um, I don't know how I feel about this, but we'll could still like talk about it. Like they didn't unfriend me on social media. So I'm like impressed by that because you can get into trouble for being friends with somebody on social media who's spoken out. And then I also have friends who are cadets who I am like really close with who just blocked me on social media, which I expected. I'm not close with them now. Like I was close with them as a child, um, but now they're like, they're still in Scientology. So they just like big block. And then I'm like, okay. And I expected that. Are there aspects of Scientology that you look back on fondly? Are there parts where you go, oh God, that was actually quite nice? Only my friends and my, like those things, like having my adventures, like we used to go, that we had PE at the ranch and we would like go biking up this big mountain and like have to, we would, or on rollerblades and go flying down it. Oh my God, we totally could have died. And I think back on it, like just zooming down this mountain or like we would go horseback riding. So those things like my relationships like i still have such close relationships with cadets that i grew up with they're like my they are my sisters in all aspects because i literally grew up with them so i'll always be grateful for that like we have a bond and we all have that like our close close closest friends are people we grew up with so that's that's what i'd be grateful for but any of the other stuff i'm um, no i'm like 
I, if I could turn back time, would I? I don't know, because I, I do like my life I'm at now. But it's sad that my parents and my sister are lost to it, you know? And I'm like, what would it have been like if I had been in New York, if my mom had stayed in New York with her, with my dad and ha raised us and I had all my cousins? Like, what type of person would I be? I have no idea. Do you hold any hope that your parents or your sister might ever leave? I do because I'm an optimist, but I don't know how. I don't know how it would happen. Realistically, I don't see it, but I hope it happens. Um, my sister, like she, she's 41, 42 now. If she could just find, like somehow read my book. She has like a Kindle, so she could, um, but it, she has to choose to do it. And you can do it. Like you can just make that choice and be subversive and do it in secret. But it's so hard there because they do what's like sex checking where they have you confess your crimes basically. And they, there's so much, it's amazing how good the Sea Org and Scientology itself is at that, um, what is it? Like when you monitor your own thoughts, which is a really horrible thing, thought control almost. It's, it's, it's scary, it really is. And I suppose there's what you referenced earlier, which was that sunk cost fallacy, you know, when you've gone so far in. If you're 41, you've lived 41 years of your life in something, it's like, well, I've gone this far. You know, it's, it, it would take a lot to say to yourself, like, maybe I've wasted a lot of the time in those 41 years, not talking to my sister, not being on the outside world. That takes a lot to be able to admit to yourself. It's, I, I suppose that would be very difficult for her. Yeah, I imagine. I couldn't even imagine. And, and that would be a lot more for her to work through if she left, like, therapy-wise and all that stuff. Because for me, I left at 16. I still have my whole life ahead of me. Um but I would love it if she did and she could come stay with me and I would help her out. So Daisy, if you're listening. <laughs> no, she's not. Yeah, conscious. well, she might you be. You never know. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I, the odds are very like one, 0.5%, but still. Wouldn't you love it? Yeah, I would. Where can people get Bad Cadet? Um, it's available everywhere on ebook. So like Barnes and Noble, Apple, Amazon, all of them. And then paperback, you can get it through Amazon. And then Audible will be out in about a month or two. Thank you, Catherine Spellino. People, go out and get her book, Bad Cadet. Uh, support her. Get it to friends of yours who don't know enough about Scientology because it's a fascinating, fascinating read. It's a fascinating and destructive cult. I'm pleased she got out of it. I'm saddened that a lot of her family members remain in it. Um, do stick around for the next episodes, as I say, about Tiger King, about Warren Jeffs and the F. Um, LDS, the, that's the Fundamentalist Latter-day Saints uh, cult um, for, for the stuff about the uh, Daybell murders and some stuff about Wim Hof it's getting hot in here I'm quite hot as I do this but stick around, remain on the edge I'll see you next time <laughs>